Hello, everybody. This is Chris Blair, voice of the national champion Fighting Tigers of LSU. And you're locked in to the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show, Middle Georgia's number one voice of community and collegiate sports. Go Tigers. This is Mike Conti of Atlanta United and the Atlanta Hawks Radio Networks. You're listening to Middle Georgia's number one team for community and collegiate sports from Atlanta to Savannah. It's the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Hey, this is Andy Dementra, voice of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And when I want to know what's going on in Middle Georgia sports, there's only one place I go. It's the Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Your place for community and collegiate sports. Guys, take it away. All right, Andy Demetra, I think we will, sir. Good evening, everybody. It's the Rob, Ben, and Joe show here on the air once again with you. Rob and Ben, how's it going, fellas? Just uh, taking care of business. Another Thursday. Just trying to make it happen, man. And uh, kind of feel like we're coming out of the COVID business, you know? You feel like you are anyways. You know, you try, <laughs> Some people are trying to open back up their restaurants and stuff. You hear things happening. The weather's good. It's warming up. It's been pristine, sunny and 75. So That's right. <laughs> it was a little bit warmer than 75 today. It's, it was about 87. I was, I was sweating a little bit. I hear you, man. Yeah, it is definitely, it feels like we're coming out, coming into spring, and everything's getting opened up and ready to go. At least it feels that way. I hope that all the sports people see it the same, right? Absolutely. Uh, there's talks. There's talks of stuff happening. That's so, right. Uh, looking forward to, <laughs> to something. <laughs> That's right. It's your Robin and Joe show here with you, brought to you by Bubba's Tire and, of course, Network One Sports and Eyeballs Marketing. We appreciate each and every one of her bringing to the show each and every week. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the RBJ Show, Facebook at RBJ Podcast, and of course uh, online streaming at NetworkOneSports.com or online at PowersMediaNetwork.com. Download the show, take us wherever you go on Spotify or Apple Music as well. On the show with us tonight, we got uh, a good friend, most people in the state of Georgia, well, shucks, across the country you're going to know, and uh, we'll get to our special guest, Mr. Wes Durham, here in just a few minutes, but guys, a lot of talk about things opening up in the sports world now. Uh, do you think we're close? Do you think we're going to get there and get things rolling here in the next uh, 90 days or so? I think uh, I think we're really close, especially NASCAR kicking it off this weekend. Um, I think that's going to be really big to try. And I think everybody will start to see, like, oh, my gosh, we're starting to finally get some stuff back that we absolutely love. And then the PGA Tour will come up in, in June. And I think you'll see uh, the sports, especially football, maybe take it away on the high school level um, because there's already some uh, associations that have already listed that they can start having uh, summer workouts and stuff at the start of June. And uh, GHSA released something, too. It's not official yet, but they're kind of looking at the same thing. So I think it may start at the lower level and then hopefully trickle up to the collegiate level. I, I cannot wait. Um, you know, just it's just a matter of time, though. You know, you're we're already in May, halfway through it. And the summertime <laughs> is when football gets all of its steam and, you know, you, you start getting these – projections and everything else and preseason different things and so um i don't want to miss any of that <laughs> any of that it needs to come on back around and i think we're really close i think we are too and uh, speaking of really close we don't want to spend a lot of time talking about uh things that aren't any closer than our guest who we have on the line with us here today so uh we want to go ahead and make that introduction for you we will bring on first let's listen to uh some of the greatest hits here if we will from some of our friends in West Lawrence and Lawrence County, and Mr. West Durham himself. We'll start with this one. Caravay backs in Dwyer behind Shaw. Here is Shaw looking to throw down the seam. No, he'll take the deep shot. Thomas the catch. 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, Georgia Tech and Bebe Thomas. 88 yards. 
So there you go, 88 yards to Bebe Thomas, Wes Lawrence on. And here on the radio with us tonight, you've got the Elon grad, the son of Woody Durham, a 40-year voice of the Tar Heels, a former longtime voice of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and a current voice of the Atlanta Falcons as well as the ACC Network and the Packard and Durham Show, not to mention a nine-time broadcaster of the year award winner, Mr. Wes Durham. Wes, how you doing, sir? I'm great, guys. It's good to be with you tonight. I appreciate you asking me to be a part of this. Absolutely, my friend. And you know, we are such a, uh, such a fan of yours. It's a pleasure to have you on with us. And uh, i tell you what, did I miss anything there, Wes, or did I get it all in? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been very fortunate. It's, uh, you know, I, it, it's hard to believe that you get to this time of year, and, and given the scenario we're in with the crisis going on and everything, it's, you come to a complete stop and you realize how blessed you've been. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate to be in this area since 1995 and certainly 18 years at Georgia Tech and uh, getting ready to start my eighth year of television, uh, second with the ACC Network and my 17th year uh, doing the Falcons. It, it's amazing how fast. My grandfather told me when I was a kid growing up that time would get fast and he was right. Time does get fast, uh, but it's, it's really been a blessing for sure. Well, I tell you what, it has been a, an absolute uh, uh, a f- thrill to listen to all your calls across the, the time span that you've been involved with sports. And you're right, you know, time does uh, get fast. And we're going to relive some of those memories with you here tonight, mm-hmm. Wes, if you don't mind. By the way, do you remember that Bebe Thomas call we had right there? Did you, <laughs> do you remember yeah. that one? Yeah, that was that was Mississippi State, who uh, that was uh, Coach Johnson's first year, and Josh Nesbitt had gotten hurt the week before. And Mississippi State came in and decided to play cover one <laughs> and uh, and put an eighth guy down in the box. And when they did, uh, good heavens! I mean, it was it was fascinating to work with Coach Johnson because it didn't take long for him to diagnose what somebody was trying to do. He had already seen everything once by the time he came to Atlanta. And so, when they decided to play cover one that day, uh, you know, it was it was pretty interesting to to watch Georgia Tech air it out after. Sylvester Croom decided to play eight in the box, and um, yeah, it was it was a fun day. And Jabo Shaw, who obviously went on to have a great college career at Georgia Southern, uh, did a phenomenal job that day. And uh, Demarius was certainly the benefactor of a lot of those throws. Although everybody seemed to be a benefactor that day, it was <laughs> it was it was, Air Georgia, it was Air Georgia Tech more than anything else that day for sure. Oh, and yeah, everybody. I, we were uh, we were at that game, and uh, everybody that day was like, "Well, I didn't know Paul was going to throw it that much. I didn't know he. I didn't know he threw that much." And uh, yeah. walking down, I tell you, we, we, you know, Paul has the best in-game feel out of any coach mm-hmm. that I've ever watched, and, he, and it's so fascinating because he's one of those guys that he doesn't have a play sheet, and he's just really, right. really interesting. And uh, I know in uh, 2008, his first year. Uh, when we were at Georgia, and I remember at halftime, me and Ben, and we were all like, man, here we go again. You we're know, bailing. We're bailing halftime. Athens, we're out of here. We're about to leave. And <laughs> sure enough, he comes up, and they dial up the fullback option with Dwyer, and before you know it, it's like a neck-and-neck game. We go for two, and so that, those times with Paul had to be really cool. How, how, Wes, how was that transitioning from Chan Gailey to Paul Johnson, you know, kind of getting ready because you were coming in calling something, I mean, completely different uh, in the whole field between all of that. You know how it kind of ended with Chan – People in Atlanta were very sure, unsettled, right. and you know, then they hire Dan Radakovich, hires Paul Johnson, and everybody's like, "Oh goodness, we're getting the triple option," you know. And so, how was that transition going from Chan Gailey up to uh, to Paul Johnson? 
You know, it was interesting. In, in the 18 years I was there, my first full year, my, 1995, was George O'Leary's first full year. So I went from Coach O'Leary to Coach Gailey. And it's interesting. A lot of people ask the question you just did about Coach Gailey to Coach Johnson. <laughs> the transition from Coach O'Leary to Coach Gailey was as dynamic as the one from Coach Gailey to Coach Johnson. I and, I, you know, I, I think that the one thing that I always felt very fortunate about was that I had really good relationships with all the coaches I worked with, um, football and basketball, which was the principal sports I broadcast. But even Danny Hall and I to this day are still pretty good friends. And, and I'm pretty good friends, especially good friends with Paul and Chan. Uh, George and I still stay in contact, but uh, Paul and I have, have remained close friends. And I, I still talk to Chan probably four or five times a year. Uh, now that he's gone back into coaching with the Miami Dolphins this year, I don't know that I'll talk to him as much, but <laughs> he's certainly somebody who I have a really good relationship with and the athletic directors as well. But, but the change from, from Chan to Paul was going to be different. And I think Paul was at a spot in his career where he'd been incredibly successful, as you guys know, at Southern, uh, then gone to the Naval Academy and just done a remarkable job. I mean, you know, in the modern era, Navy has never been as successful as they have under Paul's tutelage. So uh, I think the opportunity to come to Georgia Tech was going to be exciting for him. It was also Power 5 football, which he wanted to be part of. He had been offered two other jobs at the same time, turned both of them down, and I think for less money to come to Atlanta to coach Georgia Tech. And he was really enthusiastic. Now, the first spring that he coached Georgia Tech before their first games of 2008, it was it was pretty ugly football to be honest with you, oh, yeah, because yeah. kids were kids were running every which direction, and you know Roddy Jones tells a great story about you know you you, you kind of leaked out on one of the eight back moves, and next thing you know a ball's hitting you in the head, you didn't know it was coming, <laughs> and there was a lot of that, and I think that uh, but slowly but surely the kids invested into what he and his staff were putting together and. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, a few years from now, maybe 10 more from now, people are going to look back on his, his run in Atlanta as some of the most successful Georgia Tech football since, you know, since the 1990 national championship of, uh, of Coach Ross's for sure. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And, you know, I, I was talking about it this year and, um, you know, especially transitioning from Paul to Coach Collins, um, we've kind of sure. got another dynamic change like you were talking about from O'Leary to Gailey. You know, they're, right. they're all kind of really 360, you know, 180s in a different direction, um, which are all good in their own like. But uh, that was one thing about Paul Johnson when you went in there. He was such an aggressive coach. And that's one thing I loved about him going from – it didn't make a difference. He was going to come up there with his offense no matter what they said, and he was bringing the heat, and he was going to go for it on fourth and three, and it doesn't matter who right. he's playing, and if he's on his own 40 in the fourth quarter with three minutes to go, and he's up 10, he doesn't care. He's going for it, you know, and so having that type of mentality at Georgia Tech, especially coming from a fan standpoint, it was really interesting to watch him coach a football game, and uh, he ran a pretty tight ship from that standpoint, too. I mean, he, he had a great um, GPA stuff and everything. I mean, all across the board, mm -hmm, right. he ran a uh, he ran a really good show. And um, how was it at Georgia Tech, man? You spent, you spent so much time through the 90s and up, and you've seen some really good white and gold football from Joe Hamilton on <laughs> up and some, some Georgia, Georgia Tech games that, uh, that kind of finalized some, some good endings, man. How, how was that at your tenure at Georgia Tech, man, looking back on your long career? You know, it was a it was a great opportunity uh, when I was contacted by Georgia Tech and uh, and you know the folks at Cox Radio at the time when the job came open. Um, Dr. Rice, uh, who I, I knew of but was not incredibly familiar with, um, 
and the dirt and the details is, and, and I joke with him about it today, the two biggest mistakes he ever made in his career were hiring my dad at Carolina in 1971 and hiring me 24 years later. And I had been at Vanderbilt and had done three years at Vanderbilt, and my, my wife at the time and I loved Nashville, but the opportunity to come back to the ACC and – and to be in one of the top 10 media markets in the country was something that, that I really thought could be exciting and career-defining in terms of what I was going to do. And, um, you know, little did I know that the NFL would be a part of it and those type things. But uh, the opportunity to come to Georgia Tech was exciting into itself simply because of Atlanta and the ACC, and that was a league that I had grown up in, obviously. So um, Coach O'Leary was coming off, uh, you know, the interim situation. They had been 1-10. Um, and you're right, Joe, Joe came in and was the starting quarterback in a game at NC State in 1996 that you know, was 72 hours after a hurricane had basically ripped through the Raleigh area. Um, and, and, you know, and they kind of got momentum built. They got momentum built in 96, even though they had a losing record. Uh, they, they went to the Carquest Bowl in 97 and beat West Virginia, and Joe had a great game. And then the 10-2 and run in 98 is the one that I think kind of set them off going forward for the next – you know, really five or ten years. And there were some bumps along the way. But when they beat Georgia in 98 to cap the 10-2 and two year and then beat Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl, that, that just kind of changed what Georgia Tech football had been. Because you have to remember that just four years earlier, they had been 1-10 and, and and really not a competitive football program at all. And I think that said a lot about what Coach O'Leary was building. And then obviously, the you know, the 2001 thing happens. He goes to Notre Dame and ultimately ends up that that whole thing becomes a sideshow a little bit. But but Chan comes in to take the job, and, and Chan was a completely different personality from Coach O'Leary as a coach. And he and his staff were completely different. And I think that, you know, it took some time, but, but Chan also had a really good program. The, the thing about Chan was is that there was the marquee game. There was never that, you know, raising the flag win. Um, they – you know, they had some great wins. I mean, they beat an undefeated NC State team with Phillip Rivers. They, you know, obviously beat uh, Clemson one time when nobody thought they would, that kind of thing. I mean, and then he had great players. I mean, you know, Calvin was exceptional. Everybody understands that. But I think, too, you got to look at some of the guys they put in the NFL uh, during his tenure. And that transition was fascinating to me because, he was a very mild-mannered guy and a great guy, um, salt-of-the-earth guy, and he had a really, really good football staff. They were dynamic and different in, in unique ways from Coach O'Leary's. And so then when you went to Coach Johnson, it became more old-school football, to be honest with you. The one thing about Paul, and you just said it a moment ago, is that you know you don't you don't ever wonder what he's thinking or where his emotions are because he'll show them to you <laughs> during sixty right. minutes of football. Um, and and that's the one thing about him that everybody says, well, my goodness, you know, he gets upset. I said, well, at least you don't have to worry about what he's thinking. I mean, you know, <laughs> and and remember too that it was interesting because. Remember, people, when, when Chan's tenure was kind of wrapping up, people wanted Gailey to be more demonstrative. Remember that? Oh, I mean, absolutely. they thought, they well, Chan, you know, my guy, he's not very dynamic, and he doesn't get upset. And well, then Paul comes in, you go the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> and I remember people turning to me after a couple of years going, well, man, he really gets upset. And I'm like, well, two years ago, you didn't want the, you know, you want the quiet guy. Yeah, yeah. make up so your mind. It was, yeah, it was, it was fun to be part of, and it was, uh, you know, as I said at the top, a real – I was very fortunate and blessed to be, you know, at Georgia Tech for those years. And, 
you saw great players. And, and the unique thing for me and the real special part for me now is a lot of those guys um, have now become friends. Or, you know, in the case of Roddy Jones, somebody who came to me after his career was over and said he wanted to get into broadcasting, and now all of a sudden we're working together, right? I mean, yeah. it's a unique – it's a very, very unique situation. The place is unique. It's quite special. And uh, and I think a lot of it, and, and I think a lot of the people that go there, whether they're regular students or student athletes or, you know, whatever the case may be, I, I think the place still has a very unique – unique approach and and the people that go there are are really really different and they're special in terms of what they end up ultimately doing i think yeah absolutely and you kind of you kind of walked us into our next thing we got a couple of clips here from 98 uh, <laughs> okay and, uh, and a couple to uh to kind of relive those moments uh a little bit here to kind of get your uh what what was going on at the time if you'll kind of set the scene well we're going to play a couple of clips here and then uh and then get your uh get your view on it <laughs> okay Brett Baskin will hold. Ross Mitchell to snap. Snap. Spot. Kick is away. And it is good. With two seconds left, Georgia Tech has taken the lead on Georgia. 21 to 19. And I want to tell you what. It was cut like a prime rib right <laughs> down the middle. Oh, that one hurt me right there. It sure did. <laughs> Joe's a Georgia fan, unfortunately, Wes. <laughs> yeah, Wes, why don't you tell That's us? Right. Joe's had his moments. Joe doesn't need to worry. He's had some moments. <laughs> He's had his. Hey, let me tell you before you you set that up for us, Wes, uh, Brad and I went to high school together up in, in Tacoa at Stevens County, and I, I yeah. actually let Brad kick a football off of my face for a field goal one time, right off my chin. <laughs> so uh, I knew when he lined up that we were beat. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and he's one of those guys that should never, ever buy dinner in Atlanta from a Georgia Tech fan. Yeah, I never. mean, he should never – he never should reach for the wallet, never reach for the credit card. <laughs> I, uh, in fact, one night uh, before I left Georgia Tech, I want to say it was about 2010 or 2009, a teammate of his was going into the Hall of Fame. And he came to the Hall of Fame that night, and I introduced him. And I, I had him stand up, and I said, by the way – if there's a Georgia Tech fan in a restaurant, you see Brad Chambers sitting in this restaurant, you walk over and buy his meal. <laughs> I mean, and, I told, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've said the same, same thing to Roddy Jones. If I ever find out Roddy Jones pays for a meal in front of a Georgia Tech fan, I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> those two guys, and, and Joe Hamilton the same way. I mean, you know, those two guys engineered, in, in many ways, Chambers, uh, you know, the field goal culminated one of the great games in Tech Georgia history for Tech, obviously, not as good as Georgia, <laughs> but it also rewrote the 12 the month kind of cycle because of the Bobo to Corey Allen touchdown in 97. And so that 97 98 exchange of Georgia winning in Atlanta in 97 and Tech winning in 98 in Athens really is, by accounts of both schools, part of the revitalization of the rivalry. And I thought it was I thought it was interesting the way it happened, and Brad's just a super guy, and and it was important for Georgia Tech to win that game, guys. I mean, it had been since what ninety, maybe ninety one that they won yeah, the game, yeah. and and they they had to win the game in order to kind of 
restoke the fire a little bit. And yeah. I thought it was important from that standpoint. Get that monkey off the back. And like like you said, like in 2008, you know, the same thing happened again. Whenever Paul right. went up to Athens, it was like a recurring, you know, history <laughs> repeats itself, you know. Here we like, go. Holy cow, here we go. And uh, that was uh, that was exciting. You're right. If, if, a, if a Georgia Tech fan stiffs Joe Hamilton or Roddy Dillon, <laughs> something's bad wrong. <laughs> that, is, that is really bad. All right, well, we're going to give you another one here, Wes. Let's uh, go back. You mentioned this young man earlier, and uh, we'll just uh, we'll just say hmm. he's legendary, and we'll listen to Is your this call. Is Clemson? Because that's the one everybody plays. Yep. Yeah. Cole <laughs> <laughs> chasing the punt. Houston stands at the oh, 23. Oh, it's a oh, bad snap. Oh, Clemson's in real trouble, and it's recovered. Oh. Back at the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness. Holy mackerel. It's come completely off the seams with 16 seconds left. It's 24-21. Georgia Tech's going to have it first and 10 at the Clemson 10-and-a-half. No timeouts left for Georgia Tech. Calvin Johnson will go to the left. Justin Miller finds him defensively. from under center. Sets, throws, Johnson's there. It is touchdown! Touchdown! Calvin Johnson! Son of a gun! He has absolutely lived up to the legendary billing. And with 11 seconds left, Georgia Tech has taken the lead. Are you serious? (laughs) Are you serious indeed right there, right? (laughs) So that's the well, one everybody like gives you, huh, Wes? Well, the, the, well, that's my wife's favorite call. Um, <laughs> she she loves that call because principally I think she jumped over the wall at Clemson that night and ran on the field, and this was long before we were ever married. But anyway, <laughs> um, she uh, she loves that call, so she plays it every once in a while. She'll just say, remember the good old days? Here are the good old days, and you know she'll play the call. But anyway, um, two things about the call that are always funny for me. One is Jeff Van Note did the games with us that year. Um, and, and Jeff did just a, such an admirable job of coming in when Kim King fell ill and ultimately passed away in the spring of 2004, uh, or in winter of 2004. Jeff came in and, and, and did the games and has just been so special and such a special guy to me. But my engineer, the longtime engineer of Georgia Tech football and basketball, is a guy named Miller Pope, and you can hear him laughing in the back of the, the call. You can hear him <laughs> laughing. Because the press box, the radio booth at Clemson at that time was no bigger than the broom closet, and we were all squeezed in there. And <laughs> Miller started laughing because, again, he had seen so many games. He dates back to Seraldo and Brad Nessler uh, in the 80s. And every once in a while, a game will happen, and Miller will just start laughing because what in the world are we doing winning this game? <laughs> and uh, and that's kind of what happens. And, you know, you get moments like that. But, you know, it was amazing. Uh, Calvin was so special, and that's his first college road game and the second game of his career in 2004. And, uh, you know, Chan and I were playing golf the following summer in 2005, and, you know, we, we got to talking about the season a little bit, and I said, when the kid caught the touchdown pass at Clemson, it was like, away we go. And Chan said, you're not kidding. He said, I knew he was going to be good, but I didn't know he would be as good that early as he was. And, um you know, he was spectacular. He's he's as good pound for pound as any football player in Georgia Tech history. And I get I catch some heat from some of the older guys for saying that, but <laughs> I firmly believe I do firmly believe in the 100-odd years of Georgia Tech football, he's as good as they've ever seen. Yeah, we, we've you know, we saw him, and I was a young guy then, but I, you know, looking back on that, and then he, he continued the NFL, but I think 
he started off his career at Clemson with that road game, that catch that was on the the Megatron before every game, um, you know, with the toe meets leather, they would always show that. Right. And that kind of set his whole legacy at Tech because it was from there. Then the NC State Spider-Man grab that it was on Unreal. every replay. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, you just keep replaying. You're like, how on God's green earth did that guy make that and the, catch? And then the Miami well, catch. I mean, gosh. Well, the, the ones, yeah, the ones in 05 against Miami at the Orange Bowl <laughs> on a Saturday night that knocked him out of the BCS. Those are the ones where, I mean, I've run into three or four Miami guys who played in that game, and they're as irritated about that game <laughs> as any game they lost. Not because it knocked them from the BCS, because there were balls that shouldn't have been caught. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean Reggie threw him one that, that Calvin basically caught off another guy's shoes. I mean, it was, it was just that type of night, and... You know, it was a game where Georgia Tech, nobody gave Georgia Tech a chance to win down there that night. And they went down and won the game. And Dennis Davis had the interception at the horn. And, you know, it's just a, that that's one of those type games that, that Coach Gailey's tenure is marked by, to be quite frank with you guys. It, and, it, and it is. And I'll tell you what, there were some exciting ball games in Chan Gailey's era Thanks to Calvin Johnson to some of those highlighted guys, we had some really good players back then. And some people kind of, mm-hmm. like you said, like to skip from O'Leary to Johnson. But you forget there are some incredible players that came through in that time. And there was some really fun bowl games. I remember going to the Champ Sports Bowl and watching Reggie right. tear it up and Chris Reese. I mean, we had some – there were some good players running around back then that people like to forget about. And that was that was some bread and butter of Georgia and Tech football. Paul's first guys, those were – Chan Nesbitt was – that was Chan's guy. Right. That he was able to yeah. – Oh, those yeah. were Chan's guys, so you have to really, you know, you you would be very, very ill-advised to make a comment that Chan doesn't have an eye for talent because you're Derek Morgan's, you're Calvin Johnson's. He Mor- was responsible. Morgan for that. Burnett, Jonathan Dwyer, all that. That was that was just a uh, that was exciting times uh, for sure. Yeah, sure was. All right, well we got sure was it. Go Chris Reese, by the way, was a no star. Everybody gets caught up in recruiting. <laughs> yes. Chris Reese was a zero at Roswell High School. A walk on. I mean, just no to- star. To- none, none. Yep. Like under the radar. And let me tell you what, that guy was a hell of a football player. He man. was incredible. We loved watching him uh, play. That, I mean, man, he, he just had the. He was a football player. You know, he's not going to yep. go out there yep. in the intangibles and everything, but that guy right there could play football. No doubt. Yep. If he hadn't played for the Saints, he'd have been a really great guy. <laughs> True. Well, Wes, we got one more for you, sir, that uh, I'm sure you've probably heard a time or two. Car to the right with Butler defending. Snap. Ponder hands. This is Thomas. Bubble! Bubble the ball! And Georgia Tech, I think, has recovered. They have! Oh, my goodness! Oh, my goodness! The Jackets have recovered the football! <laughs> That's a pretty big game when right I say, there. Oh my goodness, boys! You know troubles are fun now. You know it is. That's, it's about. That's the call there. That's the wake up. <laughs> Quite a game right there. Tell, yeah. Tell me what you guys are thinking sitting there, Wes, and watching that fumble. I mean, that's just craziness, right? You watch that whole drive, though. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, what, well, what were the thoughts there? I'm gonna let you guys in on their little secret now. Um, <laughs> I said that the uh, that the carry was by Thomas. And it wasn't. 
<laughs> that's the I, I'm telling you now. This is the dirty little secret of the game right here. Um, Florida State had a running back uh, who was named Jermaine Thomas, who had 130 yards in that ball game. But the guy that carried the ball in the end zone that play was Marcus Sims. Really? So that call that call is wrong. <laughs> it's, it's still the miracle on North Avenue, though, Wes. Oh, yeah, it can be, and, you know. And the funny thing about it is, you know, after after the whole deal with the Austins, you know, in Atlanta, the Brandon Gordon and Sean Bedford call, which is great. Um, Brandon and I, you know, and I shared it with him. I said that was not, you know, I said it was Jermaine Thomas and it was Marcus Sims, and Brandon laughed and he said. Well, he goes, we both got our own heartbeat on this because he didn't pick up, I guess it was Lance Austin who, yes. you know, ran the block kickback. He didn't pick up Lance Austin until he started toward the Georgia Tech sideline because he couldn't identify the number clearly. Yeah. <laughs> so it just goes just goes to show you, I mean, how, how stuff like this happens. But, yeah, every time I hear that one, uh, I have to remember that it was, uh, it was Marcus Sims who carried the ball in the end zone, not Jermaine Thomas. But – it all's well that ends well, as they say. So, uh, but that happens. And to be honest with you, they were alternating backs the entire drive. And you mentioned going back and watching the drive. If you go back and watch the drive, you'll see that they they alternate the backs. And it was Sims who they tried to sneak in on the on the short yardage play for the touchdown. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the funny part of the call. But. And the other part is, too, you guys probably remember this. I didn't say this on the call. Rashad Reed tries to get him run out of the end zone. Yes. yes. Everybody's yes. like, get out. Yes. Yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing, so, man? <laughs> well, and, and I'm going to share. Here's the post-game locker room scene, right? We're getting ready to do Coach Johnson in the locker room. So what happens after the games at Grant Field when I was doing the games was I would finish the game, send it to break. We would have two studio segments after the game ended. And one would be a recap, in this case, 2008, with Rick Strom and our studio host. And then the next break would be scores from other games because that's part of our network was is that we knew how valuable people people wanted to hear scores. They After the game was over, they yes. wanted to hear analysis, and then they wanted to hear scores of other games because people were walking out of the stadium typically. So I would make my way down the stairs from the radio level, down the concourse on the west side at Grant Field, and then quickly down to the locker room area. Well, I usually would get in the locker room after big wins like that, though, you know, three-quarters of the team might still be out, whatever the case may be. So we're waiting and waiting and waiting to start the postgame with Paul, and he comes right to us after he talks to the team. So he gathers everybody in. Obviously, they're jubilant. Everybody's jumping on top of each other. Cooper Taylor's got people mobbing him and all this for the hit and that kind of thing. Well, then Paul stops and everybody gets quiet and they get ready to sing the football, uh, the fight song, and he looks at Rashad Reed and goes, what the hell were you doing? <laughs> That's the Paul we know. Yeah. yeah. And everybody started laughing, and Rashad got this look on his face, and Paul goes, well, we won the game, it's okay. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just, it was pure comedy, but um, and after the game, I, I said to him in the post game, I said, what was your message to Rashad Reed? And he goes, why in the world was he trying to get up? I said, Coach, I don't know that. I'm glad you asked. So. Oh, that's, that's funny that you picked up on that because uh, being really plugged into football, I mean, I, I just, you know, watching that, the stands are going crazy. And, you know, when you're in the stands, you, you're not really sure what happened. You could tell it was a fumble and everybody's kind of jumping mm-hmm. on it. And we're like, after the fact, he's getting up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. 
he's going to cost it. You know, he's, yeah. he's going to come out. Yeah. You know, he's going to – then we can't yeah. even take a knee. Like, we're done. You know, like, I'm freaking out. And, uh, you know, the place <laughs> is going crazy. And uh, it's just funny how both of y'all had, you know, Florida State calls that, you know, it happened at Florida State. And then um, we went to Tallahassee the next year when Nesbitt went, you know, strong man and fumbled and then took the fumble back. I don't know if you remember that or not. But Nesbitt, oh, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on a second. <laughs> Roddy Jones fumbled it. That's right. He fu- that, you're right. Roddy fumbled Roddy it. Jones, oh, and don't, don't you think I don't remind him all the time. <laughs> you let like, him know. Everybody blames Josh, and it was you, Roddy. It was you. <laughs> yeah, Roddy, Roddy's the one that fumbled the pitch, and Nigel Bradham, who plays for the Philadelphia Eagles, picked it up. <laughs> well, he did play for the Eagles. Yes. And Josh stripped Nigel Bradham of the football. Yep. Because Nigel Bradham didn't put two arms around it. He had it in the right arm, and Nesbitt reached back in and jerked it out, and Georgia Tech maintained possession. So, yeah, no, I, I know. I remember the exact game. Because the game, now, you know, here's a little inside baseball <laughs> for you guys. The game was delayed that night because of lightning. That's right. Okay. So the game ended. We flew back to Atlanta. And everybody always, you know, thinks this this great romantic life I lead from Saturdays to Sundays in this world, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we fly back to Atlanta. The game was delayed ninety minutes. I end up sleeping on my office couch at um, at Georgia Tech. Get up, go down, and shower in the football locker room, and go to the airport and catch the first flight at seven o five in the morning to San Francisco because the Falcons play the 49ers the next day at Old Candlestick Park. Oh, my goodness. Jeez. So, and I, I get I get about, I don't know, two hours and 15 minutes of sleep on that couch, get to the airport. Dave Archer has had a college TV game the day before. He meets me at the airport. We fly together to San Francisco, land at SFO, take a cab to Candlestick Park, and walk into the stadium about an hour and 45 minutes ahead of kickoff. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my word. What a Wes, Wes well, that leads me to another question. How, is, how was it then preparing, um, you know, you're, you're calling Georgia Tech, like you say, one night in, you know, Tallahassee, Florida, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you got to get to San Francisco. What was your preparation like trying to compartmentalize that between the two? Well, there's there's two different parts of it. Are you talking about the travel part or the game part? The game part. <laughs> well, the game part the game part works itself out. I mean, you know, when when you get into the season, um, you know, Monday becomes something, Tuesday something, Wednesday something, Thursday, Friday, so on and so forth. Okay, I mean, and then you know, there's not a lot of social activity on my calendar once football starts. I mean, it's just that's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. That's the commitment and the life you lead. Um, you know, my wife, Vicki, is incredible. She is uh, she's unbelievable in, in the support she gives me. So she understood, you know, that's kind of we get locked in on this. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, and Friday before I start doing TV and flying on Thursday nights to the city. So every day was just this type thing. And it, it really became, you know, the long game in terms of preparation. You had a process. And that process, if you deviated from it, you'd be behind. So that's that part. The travel part, um, a lot of things come together, but I handled my own travel. In other words, when I went to television, I really handled my own travel. Uh, when I was still at Georgia Tech and doing the Falcons on Sunday, it, you know, there was some there were some squirmy times on about four or five trips, but the reality of it was it wasn't as bad as, 
as people made it out to be. The you know the West Coast trips are always the interesting jump, but the reality of it was is that you know there was such great cooperation. I mean, I can't begin to tell you from you know Spencer Treadwell and Brandon Ruth, who still work for the Falcons, who are unbelievable logistics and helping me understand kind of where they're going to be in their trip, right? To uh, the people at Georgia Tech, and now guys like Mike Lowry, who really helped Dave and I when we were both doing television every week, um, understand kind of the flight schedules with Delta Airlines in particular, because quite frankly, Delta, and I'm not saying that because they give me any kind of deal, I'm just telling you because <laughs> that's the easiest airline for us to fly. And so, you know, there's a lot of great support we get, and it makes a big difference, guys. I mean, and then, you know, I'm not going to lie that Dave Brain was behind this all the way. Uh, he was incredibly supportive. So was Chan Gailey. So was Paul Paul Hewitt, who it impacted more than anybody else because I missed basketball games. Um, Paul Hewitt was incredibly supportive. So was Brian Gregory when I worked with him. Um, you know, and, and to be honest with you, the, the real key guys are Arthur Blank and Rich McKay. Uh, Mr. Blank and Rich McKay from day one in 2004 – have said, we want you to do as much as you can to better your career and help us along the way. And that that's meant the world to both me, and I think I can speak for Arch on that too. And that's why we, you know, we enjoy doing the games as much as we do. And I think that's a big part of it, the incredible support we've gotten from really every level. Yeah, and you can, and Wes, you can definitely tell it that you guys are very passionate about it, and it means a lot to you, and it comes across in the broadcast on Sundays, mm-hmm. and you can really tell that you guys really just flow in the chemistry, and y'all really care, and really, y'all are having fun. Like, you enjoy yeah. doing yeah. those games. Yeah, we're having fun, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but you can tell that, y'all, you know, it's it's a good time, and everybody enjoys listening to it, so that's a big piece. So kind of talking about it now, you've got the Packer and Durham show that we watch a lot. It's very good. So talk a little bit about, like, how has that been throwing the TV stuff in along with your uh, your radio duties also? How has that juggle been, and is it been, do you have to kind of put a little bit of different hat on, or is it just now people can see you and you just, you know, kind of roll with that? Well, Packer and Durham is uh, a concept that was born, you know, on the back of a cocktail napkin, essentially. <laughs> um you know, it really came to fruition in March of 2018. And at the end, it, there was not a lot behind it um, other than we were going to do a morning show on Sirius XM. And Mark and I had known of one another, but we'd never really worked together. Uh, when I went to television uh, on the ACC side with Fox, Mark had contacted me and said, hey, I really want you to come be on our show every week. And he was doing his afternoon show on Sirius XM and ESPNU Radio. So we kind of started working together. But, you know, everybody thinks because of my dad at Carolina and his dad doing ACC basketball and the NCAA tournament for years that we kind of grew up together. And the fact of the matter is we never really knew each other. I mean, we knew of each other but didn't know each other. And so we um, we started doing um, we started doing the ACC morning show on Sirius XM. And I'm, I'm kind of getting the long, I'm giving you the long version here, but the long version is, is that when they created the ACC network on ESPN, uh, one of the things that happened was, is that, um, a lot of people at ESPN were listening to our show. <laughs> we had no idea. That was happening. <laughs> um, and they liked our humor. They liked who we were. They liked the, 
you know, the idea that two guys knew the league, that kind of thing. And, you know, the guests were comfortable with us when they were on, coaches and ADs especially. That was something that was important to uh, – that was important to um, to the people at ESPN. So back in the fall of – I want to make sure I get this right – 2018, uh, we were asked if we would be – interested in potentially doing a daily television show when they launch the ACC network in August. You know, what do you say? Yeah, sure. I'm interested, right? That's what you say. Why not? But you, you don't know what the logistics are going to be, right? I mean, you, you think, Hey, okay. You know, it's an ACC show. What are they after that kind of thing? So it's one of those things where you kind of go, all right, be interested in hearing more type deal. Mm. And, so a couple months later, they came back to us and told us what it was. And then, you know, they looked at me and they were quite candid from the front and said, Wes, we want to do the show from Charlotte. Would you be willing to locate, relocate? And, uh, you know, I wanted to, I had to talk to my wife. Uh, you know, she supported it and was incredible to support it and things like that. And, um, you know, and then they told us they wanted to do it out of Mark's basement. And we <laughs> thought they were crazy. <laughs> And Mark thought he was crazy, and his wife was like, "There's no, there's no way they're going to do a show up." <laughs> no chance. And um, and sure enough, that's what they've done, guys. I mean, we've been off huh. the air since March 13th, obviously because of the the COVID 19 deal. But um, they uh, we do the show out of Mark's basement. Um, they put unbelievable technological stuff in there to get it done. The show is produced from Bristol, which is part of the reason that we haven't been on the air because of obviously the lockdown in the state of Connecticut. Um, and I'll be honest with you, we have 16 people involved in the show. Wow. Mark and myself and one guy are in Charlotte. And the other 13 people are in Bristol. We feel very fortunate. Drew Brooks, who was a 6 p.m. producer of Sports Center and the old producer of the Mike and Mike television show, works for us and works with us, and he tells us what to do. We basically let him run the show. Josh <laughs> Macri who ran the college football podcast on ESPN radio and did Buster Olney's podcast on ESPN radio and launched Jalen and Jacoby's podcast is our, uh, is our other producer. And both guys have been tremendous. And so we feel very fortunate, 140 shows in that Packer and Durham's been so well received. And to be honest with you, it's fun to do and it's easy to do because we know the topic. We know what the league is. We, feel like you know we joke around about it we have the hard rock cafe motto we love all and serve all um, now i gotta be honest with you not every school thinks we're great but it it, it depends on their week now That's i mean right. it really right. does yeah. if, if they feel like they play pretty well then they get all hyped up about it and they'll go man we love you and golly y'all are great and then you know mark said we'll do these power rankings in football well Georgia Tech had a tough fall last year, yeah, right? Real tough. Next thing you know, I make Georgia Tech dead last, and all of a sudden my Twitter blows up, and it's people <laughs> like, I can't believe you spent 18 years here, and now you hate it. <laughs> well, you know, and Carolina didn't have a very good basketball season this year, and Mark ranked them last. And all of a sudden, you know, he got people blowing him up. Your dad would be so mad at you. Mark goes, my dad won't care. You know. So, but Packer and Durham is fun to do. We, he's his, Mark Packer is as talented a guy in the talk radio format as I've ever worked with. And so he makes it fun. And he's got a lot of great ideas. And he is incredibly successful and creative in that environment, which is important to make the show go. Because, you know, I'm going to be, I laugh and tell everybody I'm the straight guy. Um 
but at the time I'm the straight guy, I'm also a partner in the process. And so I want to do it the right way, just like I want to do games the right way as well. So that's the long version of what might have been a shorter story, and I apologize for being <laughs> yeah, we, long we, on that. We love it. That was uh, that was so it's so interesting because when they talk about that, it, it was in the basement and everything. You don't really know if you know. You're like, oh well, I guess that's true. But I it, was it, wondering it, whose house it was. That's <laughs> all. I was like, who is this? So it is. Oh, it's Mark's house. I mean, you know, Vicky and I live in Cartersville, Georgia, and I've got an apartment in Charlotte as a result of being in Mark's basement. Don't ever get that part twisted. <laughs> that's awesome. I tell you what makes the show so good, though, and it's like we were, you know. Y'all's knowledge of the of the conference and in the the depth right. of it, and then there's no bias. That's what I love about it. You you you're gonna say, hey, if you had a tough week, hey man, you're you're dead last. I don't care. I don't have any previous ties. I'm not gonna let that skew mm. the reality of the product that you're putting out right now. And that's what makes the well, show so good. Well, and I think that's kind of what the league's expectation is, right? I Absolutely. mean, that's what the, I would like to think that's what the fans of the league want. They want somebody that's going to play it fair. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, I, I got to be honest with you, you know, we were, we were surprised Steve Adazio was fired at Boston College. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I respect the decision that Martin Jarman and Father Leahy made at, at Boston College, but, you know, we were surprised and we said we were surprised. But to Martin's credit, because of his relationship with us, he came on the show two days after he fired Steve and talked to us about why he made the change. Mm. And then Jeff Hapley came on, you know, 48 hours before he was essentially announced, I think. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of if, – if we can keep doing those type projects, and, you know, obviously this has sidetracked a lot of us, and we understand what's really important. That's the health and well-being of our country. But at the same time, we tried during this time to do some things on social media, yeah, that make you laugh and have a good time. But also do some interviews like the the Jordan piece that's going to run this Saturday at 11 a.m. where, you know, we interview Roy Williams and Sam Perkins and Ralph Sampson and Muggsy Bogues and Billy, Mark's dad, to talk about Michael's impact at Carolina and what could you foretell based on three years at Chapel Hill as to what he would do once he got to the NBA. And, you know, I think when we go back and, you know, let's hope it's sooner than later, I, I think we've got an opportunity to expand it, especially in the process to which sports is going to return. because. The important thing to remember, guys, is we got a lot of different we got a lot of different tentacles in play here to get sports of any kind, but especially the college game back in a way that people can be hopefully comfortable and confident about the way it unfolds. There's no doubt about the amount of oversight and stuff that has to you know go into it, and I'm just excited to hear that y'all come up with your your show on the back of a cocktail table. And after our last, <laughs> we we called the we're the broadcast crew for the Dublin Fighting Irish, and we're sitting there after the game, and we've just we won the state championship this year, and we're sitting in there, and we're like. You know what, man? This is too long between football seasons. We need to just do something like once a week. So I'm glad to know we kind of made it the same way y'all did. Hey, you know, the idea is if you've got an interest and an enthusiasm for it, more than likely it's going to be good. And, you know, Dick Vitale, you know, one of the great things he said to me a couple of years ago, right after my dad passed away, was he said, the reason your dad was successful is because he had passion and enthusiasm for football and basketball. Well, if you have passion and enthusiasm for something, you're going to make your, whatever it is that you have that passion and enthusiasm for, you're going to be successful doing it. And that's a, I, I like to think that Mark and I have a passion and enthusiasm for making the show the right way. I have it for doing games, uh, things like that. And everybody does in their, in their daily lives. And I, I think that's a, a really important quality to have and probably really important to have it right now, too. Exactly right, uh, Wes. And I tell you what, we do enjoy, you heard uh, Ben mention there, the 
football broadcast we do for Dublin High School. And we have a lot of fun on that on Friday nights. We have a, a pretty good uh, audience that listens to us as well. But I'm not, I would be remiss if I did not play one more clip for you. This comes from uh, 2015 <laughs> with the Falcons because some of the words that come out of these boys' mouths here after listening to you for many, many years, <laughs> you may have heard some of these words before. So I'm just going to play this clip, and I'm sure you'll All figure right. out what, what, we, uh, what has been stolen. <laughs> Winston trying to get it pulled and does. No reviews. Shoots it. Evans. An impact. Trufant. Ball to lie, boys. 49-yard line of Atlanta. Desmond Trufant, the interception. Now, Rob, I think I've heard that come out of your mouth a yes. few times. Yes, right? we had, uh, Wes, we were uh, we were the state championship game this past year in Atlanta, Dublin and uh, okay. Dublin, Brooks County. Okay. So, we come down and uh, we score on the, the first drive and uh, – then the next series, we stop them, and then we're, we're driving, and they had make an absolutely absurd turnover call and gave it to Brooks County. The guy was down. They let him take, sure. it, take it from him and ran it all the way 95, back. 95 like, like back in Athens, back in Athens when they just pulled it out of the pile and let him run all the way to the touchdown. Are you talking about when Tony Gilbert jerked it out of Reggie Paul's hands yes. and they called it a fumble? That's yes. it. That's I, what we happened. Were, yes, Got we were it. there. Yes. All right. So same yeah. Same Just scenario. Just make sure we're all clear on yeah, Make sure we're all clear on yes. where we are with yes. it. Yeah, we're checking we're on the it same was, page. It was this bad, okay? So we're in the box, really tuned in, state championship game, and I am heated. And uh, so I remember that call from the Falcons, and, I've, and, you know, the ball don't lie thing. So we come back down, and we score – three or four plays, and then we get a turnover, and I'm just screaming, ball don't lie, boys, ball don't lie. And Joe, Joe after the game, Joe goes, Rob, where did, where did you get the ball don't lie thing? I was like, well, West Durham is where I <laughs> So I took it from well, you. I'm sorry. I borrowed it. But it just, hey, good. Rob, let me just tell you this. Uh, you don't have to thank me because I stole it from somebody else. So, uh, there is a, there's an old basketball coach who uh, I was sitting with at a game one night who happens to be a scout now for an NBA team, and he does Wake's color. His name is Mark Frodinger. He does the color with my great friend Stan Cotton at Wake Forest. And Dinger, uh, Dinger and I were sitting watching another game at the ACC tournament one night, and this is years ago. And there was a bad call made in the corner, and they put a kid to the free throw line, and the kid bricked both free throws. <laughs> And Dinger looked at me and goes, all don't lie. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to save that. Well, again, you talk about Dave and I and having the great time we do and you know, just this unbelievable chemistry we're fortunate to have built on in 16 years. Well, stuff like that, when I say stuff like that, he'll look at me and shake his head like, what are you doing? Right? I mean, what are you saying? Um but then when, you know, counter to that, when he gets fired up at officials, right, and things of that nature, I'll let him just go. Like, for instance, if you listen to a Falcons broadcast, I will always pause after I identify the referee who has the opening <laughs> coin toss because occasionally he will offer editorial comment about said referee that day ahead of the game ever starting, right? And... And if they screw up the coin toss, they're going to get hammered on the air. And that's just kind of what 
that's kind of what people expect. So I give you credit. Ball don't lie. You can tag it. Use it as use it at your leisure because you don't owe me any money. So it works out good. <laughs> that's uh, that's funny. You say that about about art stuff because I pay attention and I'm like I was wondering if that was intentional because especially on some of these uh, there was one call last year I was riding oh. across town and I had y'all on and there was a uh, there was a, a terrible pass interference or something and he's sure. just ripping them and I'm like I'm sitting there and I'm like you know West really's letting him run with this you know and i'm like you know and i picked up on it and i was like this is fantastic you know this. I was like, this is this is great you know that's i love it so i picked up on that and when he starts going oh yeah that's what makes it authentic though we you know i think the most important thing about a broadcast uh from our you know short experience of doing it uh, for the last few years is just being authentic and saying what comes to mind and something like you said there that just manifests into a a great call there and everybody loves it and then arch ripping officials people love that stuff and it's exciting well, it makes it fun you know there, there are a handful of guys that do games in the NFL that, I mean, it's already, the, the keg has already got the wick burning <laughs> when we flip the coin. Okay. I mean, and we've had a couple of them last year and it's just a matter of time. Now we've, we've gone through a rotation where we've missed the guy that I know he's really got it out for in life, so to speak. <laughs> so we're, we're going to be due that guy at some point in 2019 or 2020. So I'm hopeful that, you know, I don't know how far we'll get into the season, but we're due the guy. So when we get him, you'll you'll make no mistake. You'll absolutely know who it is because I'll I will I will be pausing early and often that night. So. I'll be looking for him. Yes. Yeah. Well, Wes, we certainly do appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and chat with us here in Middle Georgia and uh, relive some of those great calls. And you know, hopefully, we'll get to hang out with you one day and hear some of those calls uh, in real life. That would be a, a real treat. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the air with us here tonight. I appreciate you asking me to join me. I, I join you. I appreciate the uh, let me tell some stories. That was fun, and hope you guys have a great week. Okay. Thank appreciate you, Wes. you, Wes. All right, Wes. Thank you so you much. Bet. Take care. All right, Wes Durham, right there with you from the Atlanta Falcons Network, right. and of course, uh, longtime voice of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. I forgot to tell him next week we had Jeff Dantzler on. <laughs> Got Jeff Dantzler and Mar- uh, Chuck Dowdle coming on next week from your University of Georgia Bulldogs broadcast crew. So uh, we'll talk about that as soon as we come back for break here on your Rob, Ben, and Joe show. show download the show today on your spotify playlist or apple music eyeballs marketing and signs that's eyeballs with a z i-b-a-l-z is all about everything you need for printing services marketing services apparel services signage banners wraps for your vehicles design services or a whole lot more whatever you need in your business to get your message out there you can count on eyeballs i-b-a-l-z.com eyeballs marketing and sign and warner robbins Springtime is here, and Bubba's Tire Center is here to handle all of your vehicle needs. With the current situation of COVID-19, we are still operating our normal hours, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5.30. If you need some more time on that set of tires or vehicle repair, we offer a 90-day payment option that requires no credit check, as well as the Goodyear credit card. 
don't forget, we offer free pickup and delivery, so you never have to leave your home or place of work. Call us today at 478-275-2964 or check us out online at Bubba'sTireCenter.com. Come to Bubba's Tire Center where we do tires and a whole lot more. Now back to Rob, Ben, and Joe. Brought to you by Bubba's Tire and Network One Sports. All right, back here on the Rob, Ben, and Joe show. And uh, what a good time there with uh, Wes Durham on from the ACC Network. Packard and uh, Durham. Just all kinds of things we could list about that young man. I tell you what, man, that was a lot of fun. And just uh, the, the, the memories, pulling it back, and then he could take you exactly what was going on and connect the dots to here and there and how he landed in this place and that place and getting with the Falcons and then the, the, the morphing of the, the ACC uh, Network and the Packard and Durham show. And it's, it's really interesting because – a lot of times, and it's the same thing with businesses and stuff, a lot of times the coolest things happen on the whim. That That's you right. just kind of ride up, and they wrote on a basically like, hey, man, let's do a talk show. You yeah. know, it's like really cool. <laughs> yeah, you know? and I mean, I'd, I'd be remiss to say that, uh, you know, it was just nice to have such a strong Georgia Tech presence here tonight. <laughs> that was fantastic, you know? I uh, yeah, I can that. feel it beaming you off know, of you was, over there. It was, yeah. it was great. You know that uh, it was funny, though, because uh, – Andy had the same type of, 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 of little cuts, you know. They'll drop those in there, you right, know, about right. this and that. And it's just funny to me how both of them kind of – if you've ever spent some time uh, at Georgia Tech, and like I said, we've been going up there since I can remember. I yeah. mean, literally the, the youngest memory I can have is probably at Georgia Tech going up there. And uh, – uh, you you don't know until you've been up there and spent that time, and they have been uh, spent enough time to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they definitely know, and that was uh that was exciting. But just getting his whole breadth of information, and uh, he's just a gifted gifted guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely a gifted guy. Next week we're gonna bring the dogs in the house. That's right. You got Jeff Dantzler on next week. Uh, you'll know Jeff from uh, the uh, Georgia Bulldog Basketball Network, and of course the Football Network with uh, the halftime show, post game show. Always Jeff Dantzler there on. Uh, Athens Highway uh, at the Applebee's, I believe, is where they uh, hang out at on the post-game show. So Jeff Dantzler and the halftime reporter and sideline reporter uh, Chuck Dowdle will be there as well with us. So it's going to be a lot of fun next week to hear from the Georgia Bulldogs' perspective, but a good time tonight with West Durham on Love Westing. Uh, to him grow up. Uh, of course, Cox radio stations there with Raycom Media Network out of Charlotte with the ACC Network originally. So a lot of fun to have him on. I feel like we've worked together for many years. <laughs> <laughs> Though we haven't really at all. That's so right. uh, that's funny. But guys, uh, good times there. And uh, next week, uh, the Bulldogs are in the house. So any parting words before we get out of here? I'm just excited to uh, to have on, you know, the the Georgia Tech presence. And now we're getting some, uh, getting some dogs in there just to kind of wrap it all up. That's what we want to do here on this show is we want to be you know fair and balanced and get the 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 each side of the story and have share fun can't, sides can't, of it on each one can't of it. still fair and balanced okay <laughs> you know, we'll come up with another motto folks yeah. but we're not going to be fair and balanced so we've had georgia southern we've had georgia state we've had georgia tech yeah. then we got athens coming on georgia bulldogs and we'll next have week. mercer in the future yeah too, have so mercer coming on tied too, all so up, man. it'll be a lot of fun but for now i think that's all we got that'd be it well i'll be i'll be ready all for right. the little puppies next week <laughs> bring it on you're going to get to hear Jeff Dantzler <laughs> talking about hey, the Bulldog I, Nation. Hey, I tell you what, I'm excited to hear what uh, what Georgia's got going on. Look, you know, from passing on, they got a lot yeah. of stuff happening lot of up stuff there. We'll get, a, get checked in with those folks up there in pretty Athens. I can't believe I let Wes go and didn't tell him I had Jeff Dantzler coming on next week. <laughs> I cannot believe I let that happen. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm sure he would have given me a ribbon over yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for Network One Sports, Bubba's Tire, and Eyeballs Media, it's Rob Benajosha. We'll catch you next week. 
You're listening to The Rob, Ben, and Joe Show. Download the show today on your Spotify playlist or Apple Music.